Hey, this is Kyle Lance Martin with Time to Revive, and it's a joy to be a part of The Upper Room, and I want to invite you to listen to The Upper Room Dallas' podcast as you'll begin to dig into the prophetic psalms and how they point to the coming Messiah and the return of the Messiah. This morning, Kyle Martin is here, and he's going to teach uh, through the psalms uh, and see the end times in the psalms. It's a fascinating teaching. Uh, God's really doing something special with Time to Revive and Upper Room. Uh, I've known Kyle for 10 plus years. Uh, we both kind of launched ministries around the same time, and uh, he and I have just had a ton of honor, respect, and love for one another, but never really run together until two years ago today. It was in Jerusalem that um, we, we learned that we were both in Jerusalem at the same time, and I had an open day, and I went and connected with his team, and I met him in like an alleyway where you guys were bartering a deal for someone to take you onto the Dome of the Rock. Under, into the Dome of the Rock. So I joined his team and we went actually into the Dome of the Rock where Mount Moriah is, you know, the golden dome. We went inside there and went under um, the, the Mount Moriah. There's a rock in there where they say Muhammad ascended and we went down to this Muslim prayer room and just started praying to Jesus. Uh, and it was, it was fascinating. It was an incredible day. We then toured uh, various parts of um, the old city and then went right outside of the old city and prayed for some land uh, that now we're in the process of, we've raised funds for in the process of potentially uh, getting, you guys have, have sowed into that. And, uh, and so we're partnering with them for a training center uh, in Jerusalem, which is phenomenal. Uh, and so this is not just um, anyone, this is someone very special to me, he's a dear friend and uh, his family, Laura's here, his kids are on the front row. And so I wanted us to stand and welcome Kyle Martin from Time to Revive. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Uh, amen. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Man, it's an honor to be here. Uh, it's crazy that it was two years today that we're in one of the oldest churches in all of the Middle East. And our buddy Stephen Corey, who some of you have gotten to know, uh, he's Arab, he's Palestinian, and he's pro-Israel. We are running with him. He's from Bethlehem. He runs in the streams of Israel, but he also has a lot of unique open doors. And God allowed us to get into a church inside Old City to have just a private time. They closed off the whole church just for the upper room, time to revive, and some different ministries, and we just worshiped the Lord. And it was two years ago today. It just, it was, you know, one of those things, you have your phone, you're like, hey, what's today? Oh, yeah. Only God can do that. And so I want to just say on behalf of my family, it really is an honor. Uh, Ray, you might as well. Can I have you just sit right up here? So Ray Sturdivant, you guys know he's been teaching with Michael at times. I, come on up, Ray. Have a seat. We're going to do it. Let's do it this way. Can I get, can I get him a mic? So Ray's going to sit here. here. This is how this works. When we started teaching through the End Times series, Ray would sit right here. And if I, uh, you guys ever heard of Bill Bright from Campus Crusade? So Bill Bright had an in-house theologian. Anytime he had a question about theology or something that he wasn't sure about, he went to his in-house theologian. Ray is that theologian for me. And I kind of think he's becoming some of that for you guys. And that's a compliment. What that means is, is he knows the word of God. So as we talk, Ray and I will begin to dialogue, Ray. Is this is good. This is like the old times. But I want to tell you something, how things start. It was over 15 years. We met at a Chick-fil-A in the morning. And we would talk about end times. At 6.30, some in the morning, Brian Shahan, John Harris, 
And we would just talk. This is a guy that was the accountant for Ross Perot, a guy that's a, an airplane pilot. Ray was an advertising guy, and I was at seminary. And we began to discuss end times. Now, when you talk about end times, a series that Michael, Pastor, did they call you Pastor Michael? Pastor Michael? Pastor Michael. When Pastor Michael was walking through this, like everybody, when you think of end times, everybody jumps to the, the rapture. That's true. And then are you a, a amillennialist, a post, a pre, a post, a mid? You go all this big language. Can I just tell you, relax. And don't be overwhelmed. And so all we did, all we did at Chick-fil-A is we began to discuss those terms that we don't even know what really mean, but we wanted to know what does the scripture say? So can I just tell you today and what you have been doing, one of the challenges of the Maranatha teaching series is for you to dig into the word of God yourself. We have got to stop taking what we've heard and heard and heard. I want this generation to know what does the word of God say. And so in that, that's how we're going to begin to unpack. Now, here, this is such a beautiful thing. You know, we called it to number our days because it, it mattered. In Psalm 90, okay, anybody know who wrote Psalm 90? Moses. Moses wrote this. Now, Psalm 90, it says this in verse 11 and 12. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants. We wanted to make the most of today. You can't live in the future, but you can live today. And there's a guy, Warren Wearsby. Here's what he says. Listen to this. We number our years, not our days. But all of us have to live a day at a time. Don't know how many days we have left. We always say, I'm 42 years old or I'm 34 years old. But it's about the days. Number your days. And you're getting ready. This may not to cry. And here's what I want to just say. Is, as you guys know in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, it can come anytime. Peter, he talks about this in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. So when things like Ukraine, things like Russia, things like these wars that begin to pop up, everybody asks the question, COVID, when you start talking about this, are we in the end? You know, in Matthew 24, I'm going to set all of this up. Here's what we're always looking for. Birth pains, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, floods, wars, rumors of wars, peace treaties. So when we talk about the end times, these are the things, am I right, that we talk about. The Antichrist, we talk about, is there a negotiation coming? The abomination of desolation. What that means is that the Antichrist steps into three and a half years of the seven years, and then he says, I'm God. Like, these are the things that we're starting to look for. You talk about the Great Tribulation, which is the last three and a half years. You talk about the gospel being preached to all nations, which, by the way, we are the only time in history that we can say all of the nations have a chance to hear. Like, these are the things that we're starting to look for. You know, Satan eventually is going to get kicked out of heaven. Remember, he's coming down here, and he's going to get kicked out. So you're looking for these things, 144,000. Who are they? Let me just tell you, they're not the ones that wear the holy underwear. There's a lot of bad theology out there. Don't camp out on that. Know what the Word of God says. Please. We are responsible for knowing the Word. Nobody else. 
It's what I love about the Maranatha series. You guys are taking the presence of God and now you're digging into the word. That's dangerously good. And it's exciting to see what could happen. And so in all of this, we actually talk about the resurrection of the dead. We talk about the rapture. But I want to go to Luke 24, 44. Everybody has a handout. If you don't have a handout, could you raise your hand? Okay, uh, Sarah, if you don't mind, she asked if I could. If you guys keep your hand up. We have some handouts here. Uh, if we get through it, we get through it. If we don't, don't, don't go type A on me and just relax. It's fine. I'm totally fine if we just get through whatever. Okay, so we, we have these handouts. And on the bottom of your handout is Luke 24, 44. It's also gonna be up on your screen as well. These are the words of Christ. I wanna just, I wanna shift your thinking about how we're looking in the end times. Look what this says. Now he, this is Jesus, he said to them, these are my words. Don't you love that? These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things that are written about me, now watch this, in the law of Moses and the prophets. That's what you guys have been covering. You've been talking about the law of Moses and the prophets. But then look what he says. And the Psalms must be fulfilled. But now if I went into church, look, I go to a, a very great church here in Dallas, Dallas Bible Church. I went to a very conservative seminary. Like, I have studied the word. But if I went to most churches in America and said, hey, could you tell me in the Psalms what must be fulfilled in order for Christ to become? Most of us would be like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I got maybe one. I got maybe two. I want to show you in Scripture, literally, David Porcadue, David Porcadue covered some worship with us when we did this Number of Our Day series. This is going to be a summary of all of the end times. Okay, so not that you can't come hear Michael again next week. But what I am telling you is if you want to know from the beginning to the end, Psalms covers it. It's awesome. All you have to do is just hang out in the, in, in the Psalms. You know, the Psalms was written by King David, at least 73 of them written by King David. The sons of Korah, Asaph, Solomon, Moses. That's the Psalm 90. There's a guy named He-Man. Legit. Psalm 88, He-Man wrote part of the Psalms. Come on, you got, it's a little Bible random humor, okay? Ethan, there's a guy named Ethan. Anybody named Ethan? Nobody? It's Ethan the overflow. Uh, Ethan wrote Psalm 89. You've got multiple anonymous ones. But from the time that Moses wrote Psalm 90 to the time that I, it kind of varies. You could go from 900 to maybe 1,000 years is the span of the book of Psalms. That in itself should speak volumes. All of these authors that wrote this should speak volumes. You guys, they're not sitting together trying to figure this out. But prophetically, God just says, watch. I'm gonna take the law, I'm gonna take the prophets, and now I'm gonna speak through the Psalms. Possibly all the way back to the Israelites' return from the exile. Now, before you get to your chart, there's different ways to summarize the Psalms. There's an incredible man of God. I want to introduce you to him. His name's Tom Constable. He has written a commentary on every single book of the Bible. Okay? And he offers stuff for free. Look up soniclight.net. Okay? It'll take you somewhere else, but you'll find it. Why am I telling this? Because I long for the church to be in the word. And I have no problem saying, I need a little help sometimes because I don't know what everything means. Is that okay to admit that? When the church admits that, that's when we receive. And so now watch this. Constable says, hey, well, look, there's some lament psalms. 
You also have Thanksgiving psalms. You have these songs of ascent, right? Do you guys know when they're, they're reciting psalms, they're walking up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the upper room worship? When we're walking to this training center, we're doing songs of ascent to Jerusalem. Everything in the world is always referring to up to Jerusalem, by the way. So you have songs of ascent. You also have these royal psalms, these imprecatory psalms, which talks about bringing disaster on things. You also have what's called messianic psalms. That's where we're gonna go today. The messianic psalms on this chart that you all have, again, if you get to it, we get to it, it's okay. But I wanted to give you as much as you can. So these little hole in the wall, uh, these little hole in the walls, these little blanks, that's what we're gonna tackle today. But I wanted you to give substance so that you could also go through that as well, amen? So in this process, Ray and I began to say, hey, what, what does this look like? So Ray, before we really begin to unpack, uh, you look at this chart, what, what does the Lord speak to you about all this? Well, it's, it's just God's heart to reveal himself before it happens. You know, he says he doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to his prophets first. And so it's Jesus' cry, Matthew 24, for us not to be caught unaware. And so this is just a microcosm of the whole Old Testament, New Testament, how much prophecy is actually in there to be able to sum it all up in one book just speaks to his heart to me. Amen. Amen. Good word. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to begin to unfold here. And so what we've done is, is on this chart, you also see this in front of you, you have a prophecy that's going to be released in the book of Psalms. Now, if you could label this whole calendar, okay, it's a calendar, right, to number our days, into four sections. I want you to write something. Put this on your notes. This first section is called the coming of the Messiah. Okay. So what you're going to have in this first section is the coming of the Messiah, and we're going to actually see fulfillment already in the New Testament. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay? This part is the coming of the Messiah. So prophetically, what you're going to see is I want everybody in your little, uh, in your little bubbles here. This is a bad example because you're going to see everything. But I want you to write up on the top. Okay? I want you to write very simply Psalm 2, verse 7. Okay? I want you to write Psalm 2, Verse seven, and then in your blank, I want you to write son. Think about this. God is going to announce the Messiah to be his son. It's gotta start. So in other words, the birth of Christ establishes the framework that God sent his son, his first and foremost, Jesus is God's son. Now, in Psalm 2-7, listen to this text. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, Today, I have become your father. Now, originally, when you look at Psalm 2, it doesn't really say, hey, that's David, that this is written by David. But in Acts 4, that actual psalm is referencing, now we know that David wrote this. So when you, I want you to write uh, one more thing. I, got, I want you to write Psalm 8, verse 2, okay, if you have a little room in there. Psalm 8, verse 2. This is actually super profound. Because of your adversaries, you have established God has established a stronghold from, watch this, the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. So from Psalm 2 and Psalm 8, yes, the psalmist is establishing that the Messiah is going to be Christ as the Son. Now go to Matthew 3, verse 17. And I've heard Michael actually say this 
uh, in some of his messages his last couple weeks. Uh, they say this to you at seminary all the time. This is like a fire hydrant and it's just gonna open up. You're gonna get hit with a lot today. Don't worry about trying to digest everything. Just catch some nuggets and then go back, ask the Lord for more clarity. But in Matthew 3, verse 17, and behold, a voice out of the heavens. This is the baptism. Out of the heavens, it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So simply in Psalm 2 and Psalm 8, now you have the fulfillment of the baptism in Matthew 3, 17, saying God is saying Jesus is my son. You gotta have a beginning to this end time stuff. Okay, is everybody with me? Now, I wondered if we gave handouts, how many people actually have pens? Okay, you got a couple, just share, all right? Just share, and then just start taking notes in all of this. Okay, now I want you to go to number two, okay? Now, the next chart, it just says authority. Now, we're not gonna cover this, but I want you to know very simply, it's important that the Lord made him Lord over the works of your hands. This is Psalm 8, 6, and you put everything under his feet. And then you just see the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians, and you see that on your text, 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28. What I wanna show you is, is you guys, it's not 39 books of the Old Testament totally separate, and then 27 books of the New Testament. It's 66 books, and they go like this. One of the reasons I actually believe that the church has not been ready is that we have completely neglected, this is a general statement, so this doesn't imply just upper room, we've neglected the 66, now they go together. We like to hang out in the New Testament, the New Covenant. But you guys, everything in the Old Testament points to Yeshua in the New. It all goes together. And so for us, the Psalms paints this incredible picture of us how to cry out to him. So the coming of the Messiah is painted first and foremost as the son who has been given authority. Praise the Lord. He's been given the authority. Now when you go to the next, the, the next, uh, the next little box, you have the word battle. It's pretty simple, but Psalm 91, we talk about how the angels will protect him. No stone will come against him. He'll be able to tread on the lion, tread on the cobra. And I love this because in Matthew 4, 5 through 7, then Jesus totally has a battle with, Christ, uh, with Satan, right? Right after the, the, uh, the fast. Do you remember this? And he quotes Psalm 91. Just keep putting it together. One of the things that's so fun about studying the end times this is a crazy statement. I actually don't think it's that difficult if you study the word. Now, you want to allude to Daniel 12, Ray? Yeah, Daniel talks about that the closer we get to the end, that knowledge will increase. And I've already seen it in the last, you know, 15 years, even the understanding of the end times. I've watched it continue to unfold and people question and start to dig in more. So there's just the principle, uh, you know, even going from Daniel to Revelation, John got a greater revelation that unlocks Daniel. And so it's just this principle, it's just gonna keep increasing for those that dig in. So you have a son that's been given authority. He's in a battle. Now in this battle, remember, this is the coming of the Messiah section. You're going to see a verse that we all know this would speak to your hearts is you're going to see that, that the Messiah has zeal while he's here on earth. You'll see that word on there. He has zeal. It comes from Psalm 69, eight through nine, and uh, it's pretty straightforward. And I'll just read it. It says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons because zeal for your house has consumed me. 
And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. But now watch this. This is unfolded in Christ in his earlier part of the ministry. There's a whole conversation. Did he start flipping the tables once or twice? Yes. And in John, it says this, in John 2, 16 through 17, he says, he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. What I want us to understand is his disciples knew the word of God. In order for us to be ready for his return, folks, we gotta start digging into the word more. And not because anybody else tells you, because you're waking up for a passion to know Messiah. I believe with all of my heart, he's coming back in my lifetime. And I'm gonna live like that. Yeah, you can buy toilet paper and buy a whole lot of things in stock. I have no problem with that. But you better live your life, more importantly than anything else, like he's coming back. I'm serious, you guys. And the Psalms talks about the coming of the Messiah because of his, yes, his zeal. Now, number five in your box, just write the word here. I'll write this up as well. I want you to write very simply up here. I want you to write the word coming. This is absolutely beautiful. Scripture says this, okay, if you would. Uh, the scripture then goes to the very text in Psalm 118, 25 through 26. Psalm 118, 25 through 26. This is what the text will say. Psalm 118, 25 through 26. Lord, you know this text, by the way. Save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. You guys, this is the same text in Matthew 21, 9. This is setting the stage for him to come in for the week of, uh, of persecution and crucifixion. Matthew 21, 9, look what it says. Here's the text. It says, and the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed, they kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You guys, they are quoting Psalm 118. And they know that he's coming, but let's just state the obvious. He's not coming on the white horse yet. What's he coming on? Donkey. He's coming in as the lowest of the low, as a humble man getting ready to die. Ray, you want to speak into this? Yeah, you know, it's, it's something he also said to the, <clears throat> to the Jews before he went to the cross. He said, you won't see me again until you cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you catch that? That comes from Matthew 23, 39, which is just what he referenced, okay? Matthew 23, 39. So he says, Ray, I, you gotta say it one more time. So Jesus said to the Jews, you know, as, as they were starting to reject him, and he said, you will not see me again until you cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's referring to when nationally the Jews recognize that they have killed their Messiah and the nations are descending on him to destroy him, and they start to cry out and crying out for his return. So it's a setup. The coming, he's coming in on a donkey, but what you're gonna learn in the Psalms, as we go to the end, he's gonna start coming on a horse as well. But then that alludes to the return of the Messiah. 
This is just the coming of the Messiah. I'm gonna state something super obvious. It goes from prophecy that this will be fulfilled. In fact, this first one has already been fulfilled. We're not waiting for the Messiah to come for the first time. He's already done that. But I encourage you to know the word in such a way that will make others jealous. I want you to know the book better than them. I don't even have to reference who them is. Please know the Torah and the Tanakh better for them than them. That's really what it comes down to. Okay, so everybody good? Let's go to the last word here. This is your first section under the coming of the Messiah. That section, that little word there, it's already on there. It's God's will. It comes from Psalm 40, verse six through eight. And all I wanna just say is at the very end of that verse, he says, I delight to do your uh, will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. So Psalm 40 is saying, I delight to do your will. But I want you just to kind of circle Hebrews 10, five through seven. Because he says, but you, I'm jumping into the verse here, prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. You guys, all over the New Testament, they're referencing what was before. And I know this sounds like, oh yeah, I know that. I think most of us don't know that. And that's not a fault on you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, guys, in order for us to get ready to cry out Maranatha, folks, we have got to know the Psalms. <laughs> Let's just throw it over there. And I, I think this is what just gets me excited is because then you can start knowing what to look for. And then you don't have to be worried about all the other things. So you have what's called the coming of the Messiah. But now I want you to, to write a second point. It's not on your chart but I want you to write crucifixion and resurrection of the Messiah. This is another section of the Psalms, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah. I hope you're with me here. We're gonna go from Psalms on a prophecy to yes, this part here, just so you guys know, this next section, you're gonna still see fulfillment. We're still going from prophecy to fulfillment. Now, very beginning as remember, we know that Christ has already come in on the donkey, right? As he's coming in, now there's a setup. And that simple setup is just one word, and you're going to see betrayal. You're gonna see a betrayal. And this text that I want you to write down in this text, remember, the enemy is always rearing his head. And he uses a man in this context called Judas. So this enemy, I want you to write down Psalm 41, nine. And by the way, if you haven't been to Israel, go. Praise God, they've opened it up with vaccination or no vaccination, you can go, okay? So in all seriousness, Michael, we have to start praying into this. There's something really special stirring. And by the way, I gotta just say something about the Ukrainians. Do you realize that the government of Israel opened up their borders for Ukrainians, Jews or Gentiles, to come into the country? That's why we can see fulfillment. Because there has been restrictions that if you happen to know Yeshua, you ain't getting in. But now, in this period of time, Israelites are saying, any Ukrainians come. That is unbelievable. That is a miracle that I believe he's answering because of your prayers. It's not always what it looks like all the time. 
When you see this word betrayal, in Psalm 41, verse nine, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is in the Psalms. Now watch, how do you see the fulfillment? <laughs> John 13, verse nine, John 13, verse uh, 18. How would you compare my penmanship, Michael? Is it about the same to yours, or is it just as bad? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. So, okay. John 13, 18. Watch this. I'm not speaking about all of you, Jesus says. I know that I have those that I've chosen, but it is that the scripture, look at this, may be fulfilled. Christ is walking into the prophetic. You can walk into the prophetic if you know the word, just walk it out. I actually believe how Satan has gotten the American church. He thinks he makes us think like we know the word. I'm a Bible believing guy. In John 13, 18, he says that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He's quoting Psalm 41. So we know that as you transition into the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, you know that the betrayal has to take place. And this has already been fulfilled. This is nothing new to any of us. I'm just, again, setting the stage. If you want to know a summary of the end times, let's just walk through the book of Psalms. As you get to the next word, it's already there. It talks about this unjust hatred. The only thing I would say in the unjust hatred is, is that, you know, when you reference Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, it just says, do not let those who hate me without cause. There's this constant language of without cause. And so in Psalm 35 and 69, then Christ says it in John 15. But this happened so that the statement written in their scriptures might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason, is what it says. Now you can say, God, this is a lot of scripture and a lot of text. I'm telling you guys, when we get so nervous about end times, we just stop and don't do anything. But Psalms is not intimidating. This should be your world. This is who you are. You sing about it. You embrace this. This should get you ready for his return. Ray, you want to jump in on any of this? No, it's, uh, you know, it really deals with the fear at the heart of even this topic. And I've watched people that have been extremely afraid of it, but as they get into it and start discovering that Jesus is actually foretelling all of this, and he's going to be with whoever it is that's going through trial. You know, it's kind of a unique Western mindset to, to think that he doesn't really want us to suffer. You go to anywhere else in the world, that's not a problem. And so we've got a, we've got a mindset that you know, I want to avoid pain, and that's, that's just not even possible in life, yeah. let alone what's coming. So as we uh, embrace him in the midst of it, we rise above it. Yeah. <laughs> and what's going to happen is, is you're going to try to figure out if we're a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib in this. You're going to try it. All I would just say is you pray like you're not going to, but you live like you're going to. You have to. What if God chooses you amidst the Ben Fitzgeralds, right? Did I say his name right? That's in and on the border, that's going in, sending people. You guys, the church cannot run from this. 
You have to run into it. And I'm telling you, the Americans need us with the word. It's time that we run into. So you have the coming of the Messiah, and now you have this crucifixion. And why do I say that? Because Christ is the best example. He walks right into his persecution. You live like me as Christ is in me. You walk into this. We're not here to tell you, get safe and comfortable. Man, no, get ready. And the Psalms is an incredible package of just this unjust hatred. And then, I'm not gonna cover this, there's the scorn and the mock. You'll see Psalm 22 is the most beautiful picture of what Christ goes through. And then it goes to forsaken, the next box. Again, how he's forsaken. There's nobody to help. Do you remember when he says, why have you forsaken me? He's referencing Psalm 22. And then you get into Psalm 69, the next box, where they offer him vinegar. They offer him a drink while he's on the cross. And then in Matthew 27, it says they gave him a drink, but he didn't drink it. But all of this is a fulfillment of dealing with the persecution. All of it. And again, it's just this book of Psalms. It's a book of Psalms. That should get everybody in this room and overflow and online ready for persecution. Can you imagine if we told everybody, you're not gonna go through it, and the next day, all hell breaks out loose. You'll be mad. And you know who's accountable? You. You have the word. We have the word. Dig in, please. If we really need a revival, you wanna know what it is? As much as I wanna say, go share the gospel. We need a revival to get back into scripture. Half of us probably have four to eight Bibles in our own home. And then you throw in apps, you got no excuse. <laughs> I'm right there with you. My family is right there with you. So you have all of these incredible examples, but there's two more words that I wanna make sure theologically we really understand. And I want you to write this into your, uh, there has been no broken bones. I want you to write that down. This is awesome. <laughs> This might be one of my favorites. I don't know why, but Psalm 3420. Can I just tell you this? Christ has no broken bones. Ray, you want to read this Psalm 3420 when it comes up on the screen? Psalm 3420. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> that didn't give me enough time to get over here. <laughs> All right, Ray's gonna have, I'm gonna have Ray read. Now watch this. This is the fulfillment. This has already happened. Prophetically, it was spoken. Now this is the fulfillment. John 19, 33, and then we're gonna jump to 36. This comes to here. Wow, look at this. Okay, here we go. Ray, you wanna read this? But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture not a bone of him shall be broken. Okay. Now, theologically, when we take the cup and the bread, I have no problem if we say break the bread. I have no problem saying that because we're, we're breaking the bread. I just want you to understand, though, it's not because he was broken. That makes sense? I don't have any problem if we say that because we can say that. That's just a common term. But understand theologically, it's not because they came and broke his bones. He was already dead. So you have the coming of the Messiah. Now we're in the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah period in the book of Psalms, okay? Again, you're going through the end time study. It's not too heavy, is it? 
We haven't got to the hellfire and brimstone yet. But I want you to go to the next word, because this is another one of my favorites. Okay, I want you to write the word pierced. Okay, pierced. So yes, he had broken bones, but he was also pierced. I want you to go to Psalm 22, verse 16. Ray, you want to read that as well? Psalm 22, Verse 16. They got smart. They didn't put it up before you finished. So. <laughs> uh, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Okay, so there's a piercing. Now, theologically, I want you to understand. They pierce his hands and his feet. But where also do they pierce him? His side, okay? So I want you to theologically, you can quote more. Can I just say this? This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list so that we begin to get a picture. So there's the piercings on the hands, the feet, and the side. So don't be like, hey, you missed that. Yeah, I know. We're not here to pick apart. I want you to understand the big picture. And then when you go to the scripture, <laughs> and by the way, can you just write, it's not Psalms, so I'm gonna cheat. Can you just write Isaiah 53, 5? Isaiah 53 is a chapter that many Jews will actually pull out of their Torah and their Tanakh because it's so Messiah-driven. Trust me, we've had many dialogues. I just want you to write that. I know it's not a psalm, so I just don't want you to miss that one. And then I want you to go to, for your New Testament text, I want you to write down John 20, 25, and 27. John 20, 25, and 27. Now watch what this text says. So the other disciples, they were saying to him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, this is who? Who's the one saying this? Who's doubting? Thomas. He said, well, if I see him, unless I see his hands and the imprint of his nails. In other words, he's implying, unless I see the piercings and I put my finger into the place of his nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now in 27, it then says, then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger, see my hands. So he's alluding to what? The piercing. Okay, and then, and then he says, and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Why do I use this text? Because there's some verses that don't quote the psalm exactly, but they reference the situation. Okay, so don't be like, hey, he's not quoting it, but this is his life. Coming him in the side, now he's walking into the crucifixion and the resurrection. So now he's walking into this season. And I, I just want you to write down as well, if you would, please, uh, I want you to write down specifically uh, Acts 2, verse 23. Ray, you want to read that? Acts 2, verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You got to remember, we're talking 900 to 1,000 years 150 psalms. Does it blow anybody else's mind how they all fit together? And again, I'm not saying you don't know this, but I want us to have this as our backdrop in order to fully understand the return of the Messiah. And this is just from the book of Psalms. Now, just as a quick uh, uh, illustration, the next word that you have here, do you remember when they divided up his garments, they gambled? That comes from Psalm 22 and then Matthew 27. So all of this is gonna be a progression of, yes, the crucifixion. Now, when you get to the next word, okay, I want you to see this, okay? Now we're in the last, the last part of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and I just want you to write down the word resurrection. Please write down the word resurrection, and then I'm gonna have you write down Psalm 
16, 10. Psalm 16, verse 10. Scripture says, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. The Messiah will not stay dead. Right? I mean, that's what that means. He will not see decay. I want you to write Mark 16 as the fulfillment. Remember, prophetic and now fulfillment. Prophecy, fulfillment means it's already done. Do you realize that the Jewish culture today, if you go into some actual places here in Dallas, I live in Richardson, there's actually places even in Richardson, they have a picture up of the Messiah that they think is coming back from the dead. But if they knew their own word, they would know that the guy they're waiting on is not him according to Psalm 16.10. He's already dead. Does that make sense? Like when you know the word and you don't flaunt it, you're not arrogant, it's just you can rest that that's not the guy because he's been dead from a long time ago. That's all. That's, you're resting in the word, in the confidence. And so this resurrection piece that we're talking about is pretty profound. Mark 16, verses six and seven. Mark 16, six through seven. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Why are you looking for him? See, what happens is I actually think sometimes the church still functions like he's dead. He's not here. He's risen. If you knew Psalm 16, we wouldn't live like he's still on the cross. You would live like he's alive. He's changed my life because he is alive. I don't have to live in the flesh, in the shame, in the guilt. He's risen. But why do we stay in Psalm 16 and say that there's still decay? It's not true. You can say, well, that's drastic. No, no, no. When my Messiah has changed my life, I got to tell somebody about this. And this is a picture of the end times in the Psalms. If you write Acts 13, 34 through 37. Acts 13. 34 through 37. Again, this is just a fulfillment, very simply, of the resurrection. It's a fulfillment of what you see. Just, I'm gonna jump in here. Therefore, he always says in another passage, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. For David, after serving his own generations in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. that will mess up. So you got two sections, the coming of the Messiah and the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, when Ray and I and Rich, we were talking about this, this, uh, this next section. I want you to write down this weird phrase, responding to the Messiah. You okay with that, Ray, still? 
Because if we put waiting on the Messiah, I think sometimes we do jack squat. I'm waiting. But I think if you're responding to what he's done, it actually changes who you are. I think we're waiting on the Messiah. It's time the church starts responding to the Messiah. Christ will ascend to heaven. Uh, That's your fill in the blank. It's ascension. Could you write that down? Uh, This is a fun one, the spell. Hmm. I-O-N? C-I-O-N? That's not right. No, look at my A-S-C-E-N. You could spell, though, at least, Michael. I'm sure of that. Okay, watch this feature, though. See you later. <laughs> Don't give me an amen on that one, okay? All right, the ascension is this, okay? Uh, thank you for your help, by the way. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 18, okay? Psalm 68, verse 18. And by the way, I just gotta tell you this. None of this is my material. You know you learn from others, right? So like if you do a study, you'll find a lot of this. It's just a challenge of putting it all together. So just know none of this is fresh. It just becomes more clear. Psalm 68, verse 18, you ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might live there. That's in the Psalms. Now watch, in Ephesians 4, this is the best, 8 through 10. Ray, you want to read this and then unpack it? Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, and then I'll have Ray unpack this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended his himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So I believe this is uh, after the crucifixion, you know, when Satan thought he had won, and they're, doing a, they're having a keg party down in hell, and then Jesus shows up and says, give me the keys. Did you, just he, say, did you just say they're having a keg party? Yeah, they were now? having a keg party, you know. Okay, just keep uh, going. <laughs> and so he released all the people in, uh, you know, they call it Abraham's bosom, and released them to heaven. And I believe that's when he went in, sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven, and then he, rele- and he released the Holy Spirit to release all of the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> We could unpack that one a whole lot, or not. I'm just gonna say, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and then Christ is up. There's an ascension, okay? There's an ascension, okay? So again, theologically, you can unpack more and more, but I want you to understand now, and by the way, that has already been fulfilled, okay? Just so you have a timeline of where we're at, that has already been fulfilled. Now, in your box, all I'm gonna just reference is that He becomes ruler over all. He sits at the right hand. 
okay? He sits at the right hand, that's where he's at, ruler over all. He becomes the cornerstone of the church because of the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension. So he becomes the cornerstone. He is also the new priest, the Melchizedek, right? These are different aspects of Christ in the Psalms that reference to the New Testament. You also will see in Psalm 109, it's not referencing Christ, but I do wanted you to see, remember the whole betrayal when he comes in and then Judas is out? Now there's a new guy in, Matthias. All of these things are part of God's plan. Okay, so you have the coming of the Messiah, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah, and then how will we respond to the ascension and the gifts that we now have? Okay, that's the period of time that we are in right now. You're responding to his ascension. You're not sitting, just waiting. Yeah, you can pray, you can worship, you guys, but he also calls us to more. You gotta start running into as well. That's why I love my relationship, our relationship with the upper room. That's why I think upper room and TTR, I think we're just, it's like a, a, a marriage, it's awesome. I hope you receive that well. <laughs> he laughed, so I'm not sure what that means. So anyway, whatever. Okay, you, you get the point here, okay? So you have this. Now, I want you to get to the last section. This is it, the last section. This is the return of the Messiah. Okay, all we've done, all we have done is just gone through the Psalms. And nobody's gotten weirded out. Now, we, we can hear, <laughs> We will hear a little bit, but the return of the Messiah is important. And I want you to write down the first word, and this is a, this is a humdinger. <laughs> Marriage feast. It's a swirly word, but it's biblical. The marriage feast, I want you to write down Psalm 45, 13 through 17. Psalm 45, 13 through 17. Now, I'm also going to write up here. Now, this one here, Ray and I, I just want to tell you this. This one here, I, I'm not going to tell you it's 100%. Is that a fair statement? Yep. There's some texts that you're like, man, this really could be it. Or, ah. So I don't want you to be like, I'm forcing something into here, okay? This could look like this because in Psalm 45, 6 through 7, before this text, okay, it alludes to the son that's going to have a throne forever, so because of that reference in six and seven as the son, it now alludes to, oh yeah, the king's starting to invite his sons and daughters into a banquet, okay? So you gotta understand all of Psalm 45 in order to understand this text. But in Psalm 45, 13 through on, it says, the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. It continues on, she will be led to the king in, in embroidered work. The virgins or companions who follow her will be brought to you. Scripture continues, they'll be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They'll enter the king's palace. It continues on then in the 16, in place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. And then finally in 17, it says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. Now, when uh, the return of the Messiah begins, at some point, he's coming back for his bride. Okay, some would allude to that being called the rapture. At some point when there's a marriage feast, it's because the Messiah has returned and he's come back for his sons and his daughters. He's come back for his bride and they're having a party literally up here. Okay, everybody with me? This is what we're referencing. Now, your, your uh, New Testament verse is Revelation 19, six through nine. 
Revelation 19, six through nine. If I'm over your head, it's okay. If you're kind of like, whoa, 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 hang on here. Just write it down and let's begin to study this, okay? I understand. My goal is to give you like a picture. Revelation 19, six through nine. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many mighty peals of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now watch this in verse uh, eight. I was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Is this the only time I've referenced Revelation so far, I think? Okay, so you have this crazy fun party of the bride of Christ hanging out with Jesus. Ray, you wanna dig into that a little bit more? Well, it's, uh, you know, if you look at kind of the Hebrew wedding and this cry, you know, Michael covers this a lot, this cry of the bride, and at some point the father releases, go get your bride. And that's really what we're talking about. And then there's a, celebration in heaven while stuff is still happening uh, on the earth. Okay, so that's awesome. While Christ comes back for his own, when I say his own, it's those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. So if you want to be a part of the marriage feast, it's surrendering yourself to the fact that he died for your sins. It's surrendering yourself to the fact that he has given up his life for you. You can be a part of that party. You can be part of that feast, a part of that, that time together. Because while that's happening, you gotta write this down. God's not messing around. Hence comes God's wrath. While there's a party going on. Now, you are trying to figure out where does God's wrath fit into all of this. <laughs> See Ray after class. <laughs> now, God's wrath, I want you to write down Psalm 110, verse five through seven. Psalm 110, verses five through seven you're gonna to begin to see God's wrath that says this, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. And then finally in verse seven, it says this, you will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. He will bring wrath to the nations, to the kings and to the rulers, as it says in Psalm 110. But now, I want you to write down Revelation 16, one. And I also want you to write down Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Now, Revelation 16, one, it says this, and this is really straightforward. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of what? The wrath of God. This comes from the Psalms. So here's what I wanna say. When you get into the bowls and the trumpets and the, <laughs> all of the above, the seals. You shouldn't need to be afraid of that. Why? Because the Psalms is already talking about it. So when you get to Revelation 19, without me reading it, but you can go there if you don't mind. Revelation 19, it just says this, and it's really, uh, really, really straightforward. Uh, this is talking about, uh, do you guys remember how we talked about uh, Jesus coming back on a white horse. Earlier on, he came back on a, as a donkey, on a donkey, excuse me. He came on a donkey, and then what happened? He came back on a white horse. He came back on a white horse, and he started to clean house. 
hence God's wrath. And by the way, you don't have to do any of the fighting, just so you know that. You're behind him where he does all the fighting with the sword. You don't have to. Everybody's all freaking out. I gotta fight. No, he does all of that. And can I just tell you, this is how much blood's gonna be there. Literally from Armageddon, Megiddo, all the way to Jerusalem, 180 plus miles of blood up to the horse's brittle. When we talk about God's wrath, this is not a joke. So we must number our days and go tell somebody about Jesus. Why would we want them to be a part of that? So I know that we don't understand the word because if we did, you'd have to tell somebody about Christ. That's not a guilt. That's not a condemnation. It's reality. And the book of Psalms paints a beautiful picture. I need to wrap up here. I want you to just see here. It says the return of the king of glory. Uh, by the way, he's coming back on the Mount of Zion. <laughs> That's so fun. And Zechariah says he's going to put it on Zion. And then what's going to happen? It's going to split. You, I know you want to unpack a whole lot with wrath. <laughs> Can I just write? I want to fill in the, bo uh, the boxes here for you guys, because I know you guys have children and kids. So uh, I want to write this down here. Can you write down this, though? I, I can't go without writing this down. Salvation of Israel. You see, when he comes back, do you understand that the Jews are going to be like, oh man, when he comes back for the rapture, they're going to see him and say, dang it, I missed it. It's not the version that they quote it as. But I'm serious, that's what happens. They see him and they say, oh man, that's the one that we pierced. So then over the course of time, you're going to see Psalm 69, 35 to 36. Psalm 69, 35 through 36. And just as a reference up here, if you'll go there, for God will save Zion. God will save Zion. Now, if you write this, I'm just doing this for time. Will you write down Romans 11, 25 through 27? Doesn't get any more prettier than this verse right here. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hap uh, hardening has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. That's why we want all the nations. That's why I love when you pray for the nations. It's to help send out people so that the nations will hear about the gospel. That when the nations and the Gentiles have a chance to hear, eventually then it goes, so all of Israel will be saved. So eventually you will see the salvation of Israel actually take place. It's a progression, but it hasn't happened yet. Less than 1% of the Jews in Israel today are actually Messianic believers. That's small. Okay, I want you to write as well here. Oh, yeah, we're just gonna have you write it down. Millennium. <laughs> just so you know, it's actually a thousand years. It's not some hypothetical. It's real. But it hasn't happened yet. You see this? Prophecy leads to prophecy. It hasn't had the fulfillment. Would you just write this down for me? Psalm 22 25 through 31. I'm not going to teach on it, but I want to give you the reference here. Psalm 22, 25 through 31. And then I want you to write down Revelation 15, 3 through 4. And then I want you to write down Revelation 24 through 6. This will tie in beautifully to Psalm 22, the millennium.
Here's the one thing I want you to understand. When Christ comes back for his people, we will actually rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years. And you know what it's gonna determine how you rule and reign? Based on what you do today. It's not a salvation issue, by the way. Got anything with that, Ray? You want to stir the pot and have another cake party? Sure, let's have another cake party. So, you know, it's the security of our salvation releases us to function in our gifts because there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no legalism in it, but you will be rewarded for how you showed up. And, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. A lot of people that shrivel back at rewards are the people that are, you know, the most fervent about capitalism, but they want a communist system in heaven. It's like you will be rewarded for what you do because your salvation was never at stake. And the security of that releases us to flow in the very reason we were put on this planet. (laughs) So good. Your last point, I thank you for your patience as we poured through this. The last word on the bottom right is eternal throne. Uh, I want you to write that down. Eternal throne comes from Psalm 45, six through seven. Uh, can everybody just go there if you would, please? Psalm 45, this is how we'll close. Uh, Psalm 45, six through uh, seven. Scripture just says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Now watch, please. Hebrews 1, verse 8. Here it is. But to you, the Son, your throne. So in Psalm 45, he's actually referencing the Son. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Amen? Amen. And the righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. You just went through the book of Psalms. From the coming of the Messiah, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah, to responding to the Messiah, to the return of the Messiah. To me, this is why this fits in with the Maranatha cry. It gets us ready. And so, Father, could you guys just reset? Can you just hold out your hands, please? You don't have to stand. It's okay. Just hold out your hands. I just, I want to release this, and then, Michael, I'll just, it's yours. And so, Lord, I just want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that everybody that has their hands out, I'm asking that they would receive the word in a way that would allow them to number their days today. That God, they wouldn't take this word lightly, that they would be able to respond and genuinely get ready and reflect you. And so God, if this little chart causes them to stir, this causes them more of a hunger, would you allow that to happen today, please? That they would see the Messiah in all these psalms, And that because of that, God, we would be that much more looking like you. God, I honor you, and I want to just say thank you for this incredible place, this leadership, the people that are coming. God, there's hunger here. Allow this hunger to lead to radical change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you all thank Kyle?